Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Today's program is in honor of Citizenship Day, which should be commemorated tomorrow, September the 17th. But more on that in a bit. While the primary old-time radio that I present is through the great detectives of old-time radio, I listen to a lot of other programs and types of programs And I came across this one, and it told such an amazing story that I really wanted to have an opportunity to to share it. I think Citizenship Day is a fantastic occasion for it. We're going to be bringing you an episode of Voice of the Army. Voice of the Army was one of those programs sponsored by the various uh, armed services uh, branches. Uh, I've heard programs for the Navy and the Air Force as well in order to encourage recruitment. Some of these would be primarily music-based. Others would lean more in towards drama. Uh, Oftentimes this drama would be service-related, but not always. There was the Adventures of Babe Ruth, which was sponsored by the United States Navy. The voice of the Army did use a mix of different programs during its run. This one is entitled Operation Citizenship, and it originally aired in 1949. And now, Operation Citizenship, narrated by H.V. Kaltenborn. From New York City, we present a significant transcribed story titled Operation Citizenship, narrated by the distinguished radio commentator, Mr. H.V. Kaltenborn. This is a true story of American democracy at work. It illustrates American efficiency. It tells how soldier and civilian worked together during the war. It shows the innate national desire to reward loyal American patriots, regardless of where they were born, what their race or station in life. It is one more proof that American democracy offers liberty and justice for all. During the first few months after Pearl Harbor, no one could become a naturalized American citizen while outside the United States. Yet unless something was done to provide the protection of United States citizenship to our servicemen, who were nationals of enemy nations, they might not be treated as prisoners of war if captured. They could be subject to execution as spies or traitors. I am fighting for America against the land of my birth. Why may I not be an American citizen? Yes, why not indeed? Then, in 1942, 
the Congress passed the Second War Powers Act. This authorized the Commissioner of Immigration and Naturalization, United States Department of Justice, to designate members of the Immigration and Naturalization Service to naturalize aliens serving in our armed forces overseas. One of these representatives was Henry B. Hazard, Doctor of Civil Law, Assistant Commissioner, Division of Research and Education, who started out from New York City on board the USS Chateau Cherry. When the ship was about halfway to Iceland, riding a heavy submarine-infested North Atlantic winter sea, he gathered his first group of uniformed aliens into one of the cabins. All right, gentlemen, all right. I presume we are all here. Oh, there uh, seems to be one of you missing. It's Joe, sir. He'll be right in. Here he is now, sir. Uh, I, uh, I hope I'm not delayed. Uh... You're just in time, Joe. As you know, men, the only requirements necessary for me to make you citizens in this instance are lawful admission to the United States as aliens, honorable service in the U.S. Armed Forces, your loyalty to the United States, attachment to the principles of the Constitution, that you are well disposed to the good order and happiness of the United States. Proof of your loyalty has been established by investigation, of course. The usual requirements which are being waived in this time of emergency include age, period of United States and individual state residence, declaration of intention to become a citizen, race, education, and, of course, fees. Uh, sir, huh? uh, could you hurry it up a little bit? I don't feel very good. Oh, all right, Sandy. As a matter of fact, there have been times when I felt better myself. And now, men... I'm going to administer the oath which will make you citizens of the United States of America. Will everybody please raise their right hand? That's it. Uh, uh, the other hand, please, Sandy. <laughs> That's right. Now, do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and that you will take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help you, God. I do. I do. Dr. Hazard lost no time. Those were dark days, wartime at its worst. Soldiers, sailors, Marines, airmen, every alien of enemy origin in the armed forces was well aware of what might happen to him if captured. On March 12th in Iceland, Seven men were naturalized at the U.S. Army's 208th General Hospital, 12 miles from Reykjavik. Among them were two Italians, a German, and a Yugoslav. All soldiers, now all Americans. Then Dr. Hazard headed for Falcon Landing. I don't think you'll make it to Falcon Landing in that car, Doctor. It's about 40 miles each way. You'd better take this other car. Thank you very much, Colonel. Sergeant Amtar. Yes, sir. You'd better use the 4x4. Four four. Oh, yeah, you yes, sir. You'd better take Private Savell along with you in case you need any help. Yes, sir. Come on, Savell. Okay. That car will get you there and back, Doctor. It's got a four-wheel drive. I hope so, Colonel. There are a lot of men depending on it. Fjord beyond Falcon Landing, Dr. Hazard naturalized eight members of the crew of the USS Vulcan. Then, after stopping at Castle Hill, he arrived at Camp Tinker, 
where naturalization proceedings were attended by Brigadier General Stanley R. Mickelson, commanding General 47th Anti-Aircraft Artillery Brigade, who waded through heavy Arctic snow to give a brief inspirational talk to the new citizens at the conclusion of their oath of allegiance. So help you, God. I do. Men, I want to congratulate you on this memorable achievement. My own parents once were aliens in America, having immigrated there from Scandinavia. Now, as United States citizens, you will find that you will have increased opportunities, the same opportunities which I have had, in sending a representative here to offer you the privilege of becoming American citizens. Our government has demonstrated that it is interested in the welfare of each and every individual who believes in the future of the United States of America. A few days later, Dr. Hazard continued on to England, working just as fast as conditions would allow. And from Great Britain, he went to North Africa, where at three o'clock in the afternoon of June 28, 1943, at the first replacement depot, Canastel, Algeria, he naturalized in one ceremony a group of 500 men and one army nurse. Many were veterans of the Tunisian campaign. The proceedings were witnessed by a formation of 12,000 soldiers and music was supplied by the depot band. After the oath of allegiance was administered by Dr. Hazard, the new citizens were welcomed by Major General Thomas B. Larkin, commanding general of the North African Services of Supply, who delivered a congratulatory address and brought greetings of General Dwight D. Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Commander. Many a hardened face was dampened by a tear at the conclusion of the address to the new citizens by the depot's commanding officer, Colonel C.W. Christenberry. The example you set is stupendous in its implication. The ultimate result will be a world of peace and progress governed by the people. You have, for several weeks as you lived in this depot, saluted me as your commanding officer. I now, fellow citizens of our beloved land, salute you. In the autumn of 1943, Dr. Hazard was in Italy, making new American citizens just as fast as he could travel by airplane, steamship, jeep, or tank. For approximately two years, he traveled all over the world on this patriotic mission. He crossed the International Date Line and the Arctic Circle four times. He crossed the equator six times. He covered almost 100,000 miles. He naturalized aliens in Nissan huts, in hospitals, forests, tents, jungles, ships, and airplanes. He made American citizens out of aliens from 90 different countries or subdivisions of countries. In Dutch New Guinea, during July 1944, his work took him to within 300 yards of the Japanese front line. You better not go up any closer, Doctor. You're safe here, but you know those aren't bees you hear buzzing around. I'll get the men you want to come up here to you. You stay right in this tent. Remember, it's not bulletproof. All right, Captain. I'll keep low. Good. Corporal Arthnack? Yes? Go up there and relieve Sergeant Kuhn until we make an American citizen out of him. Yes, sir. (laughs) 
by Christmas, Dr. Hazard was on Saipan, enjoying carols which were being broadcast over the radio from the United States. Hey, that's a Jap raid! Dispersion, take cover, man! Dr. Hazard, jump into this trench with me. Australia, Bougainville, Tarawa, Guadalcanal, Canton Island, and then, as Dr. Hazard was leaving Christmas Island for Honolulu, finally on his way back to the States. Goodbye, boys, goodbye, and thank you all for your splendid help. Dr. Hazard, yes, Dr. Hazard, wait. I want to be an American citizen. Hey, this is the man you were looking for when we had the ceremony, Dr. Hazard. He just got here. All right, all right, soldier. It's a good thing your papers are all prepared. We almost missed you. Raise your right hand. You do solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America. Of the 21,011 American citizens thus naturalized overseas, between 1942 and 47, 6,574 were sworn in by Dr. Hazard, who completed his tour with a civilian grade equivalent to that of an army colonel. And on the 27th of April, 46, for his overseas work with the armed forces, Dr. Henry B. Hazard was personally decorated with the Medal of Freedom by the then Secretary of War, Robert P. Patterson, among the decorations won by citizens whom he processed during this time were the Distinguished Service Cross, the Silver Star, the Bronze Star Medal, and the Purple Heart. Chivalry, valor, courage, know no nationality, they know no creed. Thank you, Mr. Cottonborn. Now I'd like to introduce the man who made our story possible the Assistant Commissioner, Research and Education Division, Immigration and Naturalization Service, United States Department of Justice, Dr. Henry B. Hazard. Thank you. Well, first, I wish to thank Mr. Kaltenborn for helping me to relive those colorful moments. He made it sound very realistic to me, and I was there. Well, uh, Dr. Hazard, it wasn't I who made it sound realistic. It was the sound men and the members of our excellent cast. But it was a pleasure for me to work with you, Dr. Hazard, and I really felt myself as though I'd been there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, Dr. Hazard, I believe you have a message for the young man of our great melting pot. Well, I do want to tell our listeners about one thing that impressed me very deeply while I was accomplishing the mission you have just finished dramatizing. I could not help but notice, with extreme interest and satisfaction, the attitudes of those men and women of the armed forces whom I naturalized. Their happy facial expressions, their statements of thanks and appreciation, and often of relief when they finally became actual citizens of the United States of America. Now to share in the wondrous heritage we must all defend whenever necessary. Today, the men and women of our armed forces are not only enjoying the privilege of helping to protect this heritage, they are also participating in the opportunities and advantages which are so plentiful for those who now choose careers in our armed forces. Thank you, Dr. Hazard. 
Voice of the Army appreciates your making available this material for from your forthcoming book, Operation Citizenship. Ladies and gentlemen, this program was brought to you by the U.S. Army and U.S. Air Force in cooperation with this radio station, with H.V. Carltonborn as narrator. The program was written by Master Sergeant Robert C.C. C. McCann, directed by Charles Wilkes, and specially transcribed for presentation at this time. This is Joe Ripley speaking for the Voice of the Army. Welcome back. Well, such a great story and very, very uh, moving. And it was really a treat to have the real uh, Dr. Hazard on the program. And he was actually in his 60s, you know, when he was doing all of this to swear in all of these citizens. And it was such important work for practical reasons, but there was also a real emotional feeling to what it meant for the servicemen as well as those who were part of the process. The idea of these men and women overseas taking the oath of uh, citizenship at a moment where they were really having to live it out and defend the country and the Constitution. It's just such an amazing and important story and that you just don't hear a whole lot about. And of course, the same can be said for Citizenship Day itself. Citizenship Day was originally recognized in 1940 as a celebration of those who either have come of age or who have become citizens through naturalization and now are uh, enjoying the full benefits of citizenship. In the late 40s, this patriotism uh, took on another form with what was called I Am an American Day. You can actually hear that referenced on episodes of programs like Life with Luigi. Then in 1952, uh, Citizenship Day was uh, changed to September 17th and combined with Constitution Day. And that is still the case that uh, September 17th is Citizenship and Constitution Day. But as few people recognize Constitution Day at all in the United States, I think hardly anyone recognizes Citizenship Day and what it represents. And I, and I thought about this and I thought this would be a perfect reminder. And I hope you enjoyed it and we may play something, you know, if I come across it, you know, in a future year, we may play something for Constitution Day. Although I think the we've already played the best potential episode when we did that old-time Radio Hamilton series uh, several years back when we played the uh, United States Constitution episode of Cavalcade of America. But I hope you enjoyed this special, and, uh, and now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we have some uh, feedback regarding the adventures of Topper. We have a comment from Tim 
uh, Tim Wright's and Jeffrey's uh, marrying Kirby to Leo G. Carroll's uh, Toffer was the pinnacle of glamour to me as a kid watching black and white reruns on TV. And then I have a, a note from Mark. Uh, Mark writes, Adam, I probably some of the, saw some of the Topper movies, but I grew up in the 50s with the TV series Leo G. Carroll as Cosmo Topper and Jeffries as Marion Kirby and Robert Sterling as George Kirby. You may recognize his wife as Billy uh, Burke, Linda the Good Witch, from the Wizard of Oz. Uh, well, thanks so much for the comments. Uh, you know, I think I may have uh, underestimated the popularity of the television program. It was not something that I, you know, heard heard a bunch about. I'd heard it existed, but there was such a glut of uh, television programs based on old movie and radio properties that nobody really remembers. But apparently this series left an impression. And I imagine the, the reason that it wasn't aired when I was watching uh, television, you know, in reruns may have been just all the smoking given that it was uh, sponsored by Camel Cigarettes. And they required them to smoke in each episode. And lest anyone think that Mark was uh, incorrect, because in the TV series, uh, Mrs. Topper was played by Gail Patrick. Uh, in the movies, it was Billy Burke. Well, that will do it for now. And we're going to go ahead and take our hiatus on the amazing world of radio. We will be back with you the day before Thanksgiving with our Thanksgiving special. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.